the Lord's drawn to people that pray this way. Please help me. What I really like about Logan's story this morning he's going to share is that Celebrate Recovery does not find its identity in addiction. It finds its identity in Jesus. But most people miss their transformation because we think we're being spiritual when we're really being arrogant. Transformation starts with this. God, please help me. How many of you pray, God, please help me on a daily basis? That's pretty good. If you've gone a week without saying, God, please help me, look out. You're about to go through a season. Let's go crazy this morning. Let's invite Logan up here. Let's cheer for him, clap for him. He's coming to share his story. It's been a while since I've been caught this off guard. So I found out this morning your bride went to Dorman High School, and my mom, Susan Norris, was her guidance counselor back in the early 80s, early 80s, and she knew my dad. He was a football coach. So our, even though you went to my crosstown rival, Spartanburg High School, go Vikings. And when I was growing up, y'all took care of us easily. But I'm really glad you're here. Um, the only reason I know Logan is if you can't hear God, just Google. That's what you do. And I Googled, I Googled Celebrate Recovery Upstate. And his email popped up. And wouldn't you know it, as we got to talking, it's like, wait a minute, we're from the same town and we know the same people. Maybe God's real. Let's extend our hands towards Logan. Let's just bless him this morning. I pray, Father, today Logan would feel so free here. And so at ease just to tell his story. We honor him in this house in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm feeling a little more confident this morning. Last time I did this, I fell up the steps. <laughs> so I made it up here without stumbling. <laughs> Guys, Celebrate Recovery has really changed my life. And uh, I'm just going to read my Celebrate Recovery testimony like if I was at a regular CR meeting. Y'all ready? Yeah. Amen. I'm a believer and most importantly, a follower of Jesus Christ who once struggled with an addiction to drugs and alcohol and anger is the root of my addiction. I'm the third of four children. I have two brothers and one sister. I joined the Baptist church at the age of seven. We attended often, and the pastor had strict rules. Even as a young child, church seems like work. I served as an usher. It was one of my grandmother's rules. You was going to work in church. The church was a performance-based church, and I focused on working in the church rather than developing a relationship with Jesus. I remember as a young child sitting in the back of the church with my cousin, when it was time to give offering, I would walk up front, put my offering money on the table, and, and straight out the door we went. It was our opportunity to go outside and play, and, and later as teenagers to meet girls. As we got older, my cousin and I would hang around our uncles. See, my father died when I was one years old. 
and I was angry because no one would tell me anything about him. I often wondered why my father had to be the one to die. You notice I said this made me angry. This anger consistently, consistently cycled throughout my life. My uncle served as father figures to me, and my cousin and I would smoke and get drunk at the age of 13, drinking whatever they were drinking once they passed out. My cousin was like a brother to me, and we often partied together until I went into the military. Right after I graduated high school, I joined the U.S. Army. The military taught me how to be a devoted soldier. I felt in order to be a good soldier, I had to separate myself from God. I didn't know how to include God in what was expected of me as a soldier. See, I was brought up in a Christian family, and I knew many of the things that I did was wrong, so I struggled within. During my tour of the service, I lost several friends. I saw friends get hurt, loaded on the helicopters, never to be seen again. Three months out of boot camp, I witnessed a soldier who was hit and killed by an armored personnel carrier. I distinctly remember one particular situation. We were crossing a river in Panama. One of my friends got caught in the current and disappeared right in front of my eyes. This incident was not the first of my losses, but it was the most personal. We were very close. You know, it's hard to have breakfast with someone, and before noon, you know you're not going to eat lunch with him. His last name was Hill. My last name was Hill Stock. We would argue about whose name was the best and pretend to fight and burst out laughing when people came to break us up. The reality of his death really hurt me. It changed my life. It marked the beginning of my drinking. The longer I stayed in the military, the more death I saw. The worse I drank. Back stateside at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, I witnessed an NCO training accident. This marked a change in my thinking. I was consistently worried about when my time would come to die. Guys, I want to share this. It's not really in my testimony. I want to share this with you, though. This time of the year is really hard for me. Uh, I was actually at NTC uh, Desert Training out in California. The rest of our battalion was assigned to peacekeeping and the Sinai. We were all flying home on December 12th. On December 12th, the guys coming from the Sinai stopped to refuel in Canada. On takeoff, they plane crashed. 285 soldiers died that day. I was in the air at the same time, and I struggled with why God let our plane fly and theirs didn't. I lost a lot of friends that day. I was constantly worried about when my time would come to die. 
I started to have dreams about death. You must understand, this was during a peacetime in our country, the Cold War. Our country was not at war, but it seemed like soldiers was dying every day, and no one was addressing it. This intensified the cycle of anger that had always existed just under the surface of my life. By then, I was drinking every day, all day, on duty, off duty. Drugs also became a part of my daily routine. My transition from military life to civilian life was very hard. Drug use and alcohol was how I learned to live with the death and the pain by making myself numb. I tried to live in a world of lies. I used drugs to fit in and tried to stop the anger, the pain of losing friends. <laughs> Most of y'all guys, y'all see these movies, you guys get drunk, get in a fight, right? Always get drunk, then you get in a fight. I was the complete opposite. I could not function in society because I was so angry that I had to take a drink just to go to work, just to have a civil conversation. I had to have a drink. That was a lot of, I didn't have to have it. Once I was discharged, both my drinking and drug use became heavier. I traveled and worked construction as far as, as Texas, to Washington, D.C., taking my anger with me from city to city, thinking if I just kept moving, things would get better. I went from working every day to becoming a drug dealer. I had a large clientele and spent much of my time trying to hide what I was doing from my family, being suspicious of everyone, and hurting my family while I thinking I was helping and protecting them. All my relationships were based on money and distrust. All my friends were about drugs, alcohol, and money. I even lost another friend to a drug overdose. I ended up serving three years in prison and several years on, on probation. But out of prison, it's right back up to my old tricks. I realized I was at my lowest point when I woke up on the floor and had no idea how long I had been laying there. I remember inserting the key into the to the lock and opening the door around six in the afternoon. When I woke up on the floor in the dark, realizing that I wanted to use again, even though it could kill me, I knew I needed help. The demons of my past had finally caught up with me. This had to stop. My drug addiction has caused me to lose my health, my ability to work, the respect of my family, but most importantly, my relationship with God. You see, at the time, I was 43 years old and diagnosed with congestive heart failure due to my drug use. They said I had the heart of an 80-year-old. But even after being diagnosed with congestive heart failure, I continued to use drugs. I would even go to my drug, uh, doctor's appointments high. Because of the drugs and the condition of my health, I was consistently passing out, my body filling with fluid. I was taking all types of medications. I eventually had to get a pacemaker, defibrillator, in order to keep my heart in rhythm. Looking back now, I knew God had plans for me. You see, I had been shot, cut, stabbed, and ran over by a school bus. 
<laughs> Don't ask. That's, that's an old, no, that, that'll take too long. That'll take too long. All right. God has been watching over me my whole life. And I didn't realize it at the time. I got into recovery through the Veterans Administration. I could not get medical help unless I attended the NA group. God put me in a spiritual-based group that really changed my life. The, the funny part about that, that spiritual-based group, we couldn't curse. And every word that came out my mouth, the other one was a cuss word. So I said, God, you put me here to shut up and listen because I, I couldn't talk because I didn't know how to talk without cussing. So that was a process I had to learn. I, ain't God good? <laughs> yeah. This change didn't happen overnight, though. Working the 12-step program, it took me one year to get past step one. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, that our lives have become unmanageable. How could I be powerless? A soldier, a veteran, powerless? Really? Proverbs 29, 23 says, Pride ends in the fall while humility brings honor. By step three, I had really changed. We made a decision, step three. We made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. God placed a sponsor in my life named Fred. He helped me throughout my recovery, and I really started to believe that God had better plans for me. He helped me to understand Romans 12, 1 and 2 which states, So then, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is your true worship that you should offer. Do not conform yourselves to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of mind. Then you will be able to, to know the will of God, what is good and is pleasing and is perfect. My, my sponsor, Fred, passed away a few years ago. I felt alone, but I knew he had helped set, place certain truths in my life. He taught me how to have a close, close personal relationship with God. I no, no longer let Satan rent space in my mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2 has helped me change my thinking. I changed my people, places, and things and replaced them with things that are pleasing to God. As I walk through these steps, I have medically, and medically improved my health. With the help of my pacemaker, my heart failure is basically stable. Though I still take some medications, my doses amounts have dropped and I've been completely taken off some. God has brought me a long way. He's given me back my relationship with my family, restored a portion of my health, and he also saved my cousin who I mentioned earlier. God has placed me at the right places at the right time to help me to go past the point of focusing on, my, on relapsing or the things behind me. I can now move forward in my life. My walk with God has changed, and I know that I can have constant con with God through prayer where I can communicate with him wherever I need to. I try to rely on the fruits of the spirit as I live daily. I know that nothing in this world can take God's grace away from me now. 
Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by God's grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not the result of your own efforts, but God's gift so that no one can boast about it. Not only has God saved me, he's given me a new life. I'm now married to a Christian woman whom God has placed in my life from the very beginning. We both grew up in that little, little country church from my childhood. He's given me a happiness and peace that I had never known before. I try to live my life so that others can see Jesus in me and live, it as a, and live my life as a testimony. I encourage people not to be discouraged like I was. God can make a difference in your life, and I try to share this with anyone who's willing to listen. When I finished my first step studies, I was ready to start my 12-step work. Y'all, uh, y'all going to be a part of CR? Y'all going to go through CR steps more than once. I just want to give you the heads up with that. <laughs> I'm on my fifth one. I'm going through uh, step studies at the veterans' home with some vets right now. It's my fifth one. You learn something every time. It's like an onion when you peel it. Feel back. I'm gonna tell you the bad part about it. It makes you cry. <laughs> All right. <laughs> when I'm ready to, uh, I was ready to start my 12th step work. Step 12. Having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. I found out our church was starting to celebrate recovery ministry, and I wanted to be a part of it. Celebrate Recovery gave me the opportunity to reach out to other people. My sponsor, Fred, told me not to stay stagnant, to keep moving. With God and Jesus leading me, I know that I can. When I finished my second step studies, I found out why I was angry for so long. Step four, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step four helped me identify the patterns of my anger. I'm going to give you the short version of my inventory. My father's death is where my anger started. My friend's death in the military is where my addiction started. But Jesus Christ's death on the cross is where my life started over. This is why I like to talk about the importance of the fourth step. I made my amends wherever possible, and now I do a daily inventory, always, in order to keep my amends list short. Guys, you got two inventories to celebrate recovery. The first one is that, that uh, moral inventory, but then you do a daily inventory. And uh, next week, I'll be celebrating 17 years. Uh, <laughs> I said that to say this. I do a daily inventory every day for 17 years. If I can make it the next week. <laughs> All right. 17 years. <laughs> All right. Uh, it was hard for me to write my inventory and my testimony. I would encourage you to write yours. On May 3rd, 
2013, I lost my brother, Terry, who was a big part of our Celebrate Recovery. I felt the loss, but I didn't get angry. I feel this was God's way of letting me know. I kind of know it by heart before I turn the page. <laughs> this was God's way of letting me know that CR really works and the steps are working for me in my life. Something happened in the CR a while back, and I almost walked away from this ministry. I was teaching on uh, forgiveness, and I had some problems with some other leaders, and God spoke to me right in the middle of that lesson. I stopped the lesson, and I made my amends right there. And now my relationship with those leaders are better than they've ever been before. The lesson stated that forgiveness is a process that you have to be willing to be willing. While it was something that I had to walk out, those leaders didn't even know that I was upset with. And I'd like to share a little bit uh, about me as when I became a state rep uh, a few years ago. And... It starts that my story starts with an angry little boy that grew up that became an angry man. But God had plans for me if I just surrendered. And who knew that that little boy would grow up and be a part of CR one day, let alone a state rep? Being a state rep, state rep, state rep is not easy. God did not say that it would be. But he did say in Luke 12, 48, much is given, much is required. So I do my best to not to be a codependent leader. I try to let leaders lead. Uh, but I do try to be a good steward over. And Celebrate Recovery is challenging and rewarding. I'm blessed to have the opportunity to serve and meet new forever family members. Y'all know y'all are my family, right? Y'all know that? On the father's side of the family, y'all are my brothers and sisters, <laughs> all right? <laughs> Amen. And uh, i like to close with this. For me, Celebrate Recovery is built on love and forgiveness and a desire not to give up. So remember this one word of encouragement. When God sees someone who does not give up, he looks down and says, there's someone that I can use. So don't give up before the miracle happens. Thank you for letting me share. There's some people, I want to talk about the actual Celebrate Recovery program. There's some people in here that they know what Celebrate Recovery is. If you've ever been through Celebrate Recovery, even if you visited one time, will you raise your hands? So there's a lot of people in here, they have no idea what Celebrate Recovery is. So let's talk about the model. You have lots of recovery programs. You have Alcoholics Anonymous. You have Narcotics Anonymous. You have Overeaters Anonymous. I could go on and on. What is Celebrate Recovery and, and why is it, how is it different from other recovery models? Celebrate Recovery, from the, the, the way it's structured to me is that we are only one higher power. That's Jesus Christ. That's to start off from the rip. That's, that's it. Jesus is the only one that can save us. If you go to some of the other recovery meetings, there are people that are just, just going to try to fix you. 
we're, we're not going to try to fix you at Celebrate Recovery. We're going to introduce you to the God at Canada. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I know Jesus him. Jesus is the I, only yes, guy. We yeah. love him very much. We love he, him very much. <laughs> as I say, he's very good at his job. Right. So a man named John Baker mm-hmm. back in Southern California, not far from you, Alejandro. I should have told you that yesterday. Mm-hmm. He goes to his pastor, mm-hmm. Rick Warren, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. He lost his marriage for a year, alcoholic. And he, the Holy Spirit really just showed him how to get well. He takes his notes to his lead pastor, Rick Warren. This is before Rick was a huge global deal. Rick started looking at it and said, I think in the Beatitudes, there are eight things I see in the Beatitudes that are the key to breakthrough. What is your relationship with home base of Celebrate Recovery how have you been trained in the tools and what do you do in the upstate to help what started back in late 80s? What do you do now to help people like me do what they started a long time ago? Well, uh, I, I refer you to the, the, the basic seven keys that, were, that Pastor John started the ministry with. And I help you walk through it so you can train your leaders the seven keys of how to run the ministry. Yep. And, and and so what it's going to look like here, right now I'm developing a team. We're just signing whoever wants to sign up to be trained in this around Easter-ish, uh, late spring-ish. What it'll look like here is on a Thursday night. Why don't you just use your imagination to imagine this room on a Thursday night, what will CR look like? What it looks like. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know who you're pointing at. I'm like, this, I mean, CR, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, can I just explain something to him for me? Yeah, it'd be great. I'd okay. love that. There are some of you sitting out there that says CR is not for me. You're the one that needs to be there. <laughs> I'm serious. Is there anything in your life that separates you from Christ? Is it shopping? Huh? That shiny new motorcycle? Huh? Right. Buying your kids too much stuff? That kid's got your life out of control? Huh? You told me codependency is the biggest addiction you see. And yeah. so it, yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Codependency. If I'm, I'm, I'm going to use me and my wife as an example. If my life is so out of control that my wife is trying to fix me that she can't live her life like she wants to, my wife is codependent. If there's somebody that you're trying to fix in your life, but you can't get your work done, you can't get dinner done, you can't get the kids ready, you can't, there's something going on because you're trying to fix somebody else, you're codependent. I'm laughing because it's not funny, but it kind of is because what my wife and I do for a living and the team we lead, you know, I do a lot of counseling. Most people see recovery as alcohol addiction, Mm -hmm. drug addiction, or porn addiction. Mm -hmm. And what people don't realize is there's about a thousand other addictions. And most people don't see it as addiction. They just, you know, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a huge deal. So anything that I'm getting my strength from other than Jesus is an idol that needs to be laid down. When we lay it down, then he comes to help. Why is it that most people have a hard time laying that thing down? 
It's uh, self-gratification. You know, uh, we, we as people want to be happy. And we as people like material things, you know. And, but I found out with me, because my wife won't let me buy any more cars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, that's my idol, cars. I have to be careful with that. Uh, I found out that I'm more happy when I'm content with what I have. And I found that out through working these steps. Let's close with this. Mm-hmm. On a Thursday night in the spring, we start off with some musical worship. Right. I know, start off with a meal. Yeah, yeah, celebrate recovery. You like to eat? Come to CR, because... The- there will not be a better church in America that has a... We're going to eat together. Hey, but, but we have to be mindful of our friends that struggle with food addiction. I don't know nothing about that. Okay. And I, um, then we, we eat together, we worship together. Mm-hmm. And then breakout groups... In, explain no, the break... Okay. We eat together, all right? Then we break, break down. Everybody helps clean up. Everybody helps clean up, Okay. This is the number one rule. I, I always like to let. Yeah. Yeah, we all clean up. All right. Then we'll come and have praise and worship, right? Then we'll read the 12 steps of the Beatitudes. We, I like to flip-flop from week to week so we get to know them by heart. Yep. And we read those together. Then after that, we have a lesson or a testimony. There's... 26 lessons, I believe. I might be yep. number off. might be 27. But either way, you have a lesson one week and a testimony one week. Lesson one week, testimony one week. And that will take up for the whole year. And you would get testimonies from the other churches around here, the leaders that came up and written their testimonies like I had. All right? Then after the testimony, uh, you close. I like to close by giving out chips, uh, one-day chip to a 15-year chip, to a 30-year chip. Uh, after that, then you break out into what we call uh, small groups. Uh, ladies go together, men go together. And if you're confused, come to the pastor. He'll tell you which one to go to. All right? <laughs> okay. And we sit in those small groups. That's that's where the real healings come from. All right, now, and you're, and you're on it right now because mm-hmm. I know this to be true. Why is it you just said that's where the real healing hits? Mm-hmm. I've got my opinions. I want you to go first. Mm-hmm. Why is that the secret sauce of CR? Uh, God's Word says you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. If you're in denial saying that, hey, I'm okay, well, you sit down and, 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 and hear that other person. That's why I introduced myself uh, that I'm a believer that struggles with alcohol and drugs. You know, that new person that walks in go like, hey, I didn't, I can't see you struggling with drugs and alcohol, you know. I say, yeah, you know, I tell him my struggles. Then he will open up and say, well, I had a bad day too, and I thought about using, or I used today, you know. And and that's, that's, where, that's where the rubber meets the road, you know, once you start saying, hey, I got a problem, and then you get to hearing about how I, overcame my problems, well, you can use that to help you get over your problem. You might not do it the same way, but you, hey, it's still got the same little thing, you know. So helps you pull up those roots.
You know what I mean? I said that the root of my addiction is my anger, right? Drugs and alcohol were my problem. Anger was. I just used drugs and alcohol to mask my anger. So when I pulled out those roots of anger. Ooh, you're on it now. So I, I was talking to Aneldi this morning. He goes here, God will not leave me alone by Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Uh, you know that word, I think it's Ephesians, the wiles of the devil. It's like a trick that the devil plays. There, the devil's been playing a trick for a long time behind uh, theology that says, well, all you need to do is just focus on who you are in Christ and you'll be okay. No, there, no, what we do, we confess our sins one to another and many of us are not gonna find healing until we partner with Holy Spirit to begin to pull up roots in our own hearts. Uh, the Lord said, let not your heart be troubled. And then the Lord shows us in Hebrews, do not let your heart be hardened. You know, we're not sure who wrote Hebrews, but the point is, it picture your heart as a garden. The Father's the gardener, but we have to partner with the Father in our garden. And so it's just a lot easier, Logan, to lead a church through a celebrity model, put a good speaker on stage. But the moment you start breaking out in small groups, that's when people hit the mass exits and they're going to go find a church they can hide in. At Celebrate Recovery, you can't hide because we're all here to bring our stuff to the healer. Well, you heard me talking about step four. That's why it's so important. Uh, most of the times when I lead a small group of men through the steps, you know, step studies meet on a different night than your average CR. I didn't know that. Yes, you have two nights. So your step studies. Every week? Every week. Okay, so Once you start, some of the team will go. Yeah. Okay. You want your, you want your team to start your step studies before. All right. All right. Yeah. Before you start your CR. All right, step studies. Men meet together, women meet together. You got four workbooks. You work through those workbooks. Each step has questions with it, right? When you get to step four, you're going to have to write down some stuff about your past. You're going to start with 12 men. might be four when you get through. Yeah, it sounds like the Lord's leadership. <laughs> Jesus got that, that. Some people will not write down that stuff that's happened in their life. Pride's got to look like something. Yeah. Jesus got to the cross. There's one disciple left. Yeah. Um, Y'all going to be seeing Logan around. Uh, rhythmically, he's going to help us launch. He'll be here the first night. I want him to come to that first night. It's around springish. Let let's do this. Can we honor him and thank him, and then I'll give some announcements. Yeah. <laughs>